This is the Mount Rushmore Podcast. My name is Jeff, and I'm joined, as per the usual, by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael, they like to debate and deliberate the most ubiquitous of any given topic, and this week's topic is the Mount Rushmore of songs that were made better by a guest musician. Who thought of this topic? Why, I believe it was you, Jeff. It was. Can you know, you, can, you, <laughs> can you make all statements that you make like as a question of whether you made them or not? Who's very well dressed today? <laughs> Why, Jeff, you are in your ascot and velveteen pants. Well, I, I will say I have chosen this topic not because I have a bunch of strong opinions on it, but because I was speaking with uh, J.B. Anderton, uh, who has the Bat 77 podcast, and he said, I'm a big fan of your music pod episodes of your podcast. Oh. Really? And I would say, I'm a big fan of our music episodes, and it's not because I'm the most informed music uh, lover. It's... And Jesus, not like we are either. <laughs> well, right. you guys, oh, if you don't aren't informed, you have interesting opinions, and I wanted to hear your opinions on this topic. So I only know ten, like 10 bands. That's why uh, I talk about the replacements a lot. <laughs> the placements. Uh, the Matt's a podcast, and... Uh, uh, the Cure cast, as Michael Winfield. Um, well, why not go for it? And I want to hear your opinions. And I'm going to pick Richard because I just am digging your beard. Uh, it's a pretty good beard. It's it's really it's nice beard. Growing it's coming out. along. It's coming along nice. Yeah. Mo- no offense, Michael. Movember has turned Keep into yours, uh, Desir- beard. Michael December. keeps his a little bit uh, more trim and, and tie and tight. Mm-hmm. I got a little bit more of the mountain man thing going yeah. on. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's all good. Um, so my first choice, uh, this is one that we talked about uh, before we were recording off air, was Eric Clapton uh, playing on my gu- while my guitar gently weeps. Also my list. I, I, it was pretty all much right. the slam dunk mm-hmm. yeah. one, I think, out of all the categories, or all the possible choices in this category. Great guitar solo, very instantly recognizable as Clapton. Um and something where he had to be sort of talked into coming into the studio, apparently, just because, you know, it's intimidating to go in the studio with the Beatles. Yeah. And he didn't know if the rest of the Beatles would even want him there. Oh. It was something where George Harrison basically invited him. He had a friendship him with him before, before like, that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Previous to that. And Harrison's like, well, why don't you come in and, uh, you know, I think you would be perfect to play guitar, play a solo on this one yeah. song that I've been working on. Yeah. And Clapton at first was like, I don't want to go in because I don't know if the other guys, you know, the other Beatles are going to be going to want me in there. Is it going to disrupt any vibe? Mm-hmm. Of course, it was during the recording of the White Album. So the vibe was we all kind of hate each yeah. other at that point. Yeah. So it was kind of hard to disturb that vibe. Yeah. And it actually turned out that um, having Clapton in the studio kind of got everyone on their best behavior. Oh, okay. Which, Were they really respective of, like, they yes. like respect him as a musician is that why it's like oh i i I think it's partially that i think it was also partially just you know if if you have a guest over for thanksgiving dinner Mm -hmm. you know seeing as though we're just wrapping up thanksgiving right now as we're we're recording this you know your family kind of tries to put on their best behavior even though if they've been fighting Mm -hmm. like cats and dogs leading up to that and that's something that happened with the Beatles frequently whenever they would have a guest. They didn't have a ton of guest musicians in there. But I know the same thing happened with Billy Preston yeah. when he was in the studio that they basically, everyone got into a much better mood and got more collaborative mm-hmm. and got along much better with each other. One thing I thought was interesting was, well, you mentioned um, Billy Preston. He at least got like credit for working with the Beatles. Right. Like... Uh, 
it seemed that Clapton wasn't noted like in the liner notes. Um, and I wonder if this was just around the time of like, you know, the Wrecking Crew would just play all the music for a particular artist. Right. Do all the stuff, uh, you know, in studio. And uh, I wonder how much people paid attention to that. And but it's weird to think of someone that has become such a you know guitar legend as Clapton, and then he's just not credited yeah. on there. They don't mention it until you have to dig it up later or find out later. And right. You see it on like the Beatles anthology or whatever it was. Right. I, also strange that like uh, you know this was George Harrison's song, and that it was like oh yeah bring in the other guy to play over me. Yeah. <laughs> right. That, that takes a lot of uh, got to be humble in yeah. Jeff to be able to be able to let. Uh, not just anyone, but freaking Eric Clapton. There's that joke about uh, Ringo not being the best rock drummer not in only the that, world. <laughs> not but not even the best drummer in his yeah. band. And I would say this this Jeff Emmerich book, Emmerich being a recording engineer at Apple, although not the producer of uh, the Beatles albums as George he Martin was, was. He was the engineer for those albums. He was the engineer. So he's, you know, he grew up with the Beatles. He'd be the guy who mic'd up the instruments at the very beginning in the early records, but then later on when he recorded with Paul for, you know, Band on the Run or something like that, he would actually be the engineer or the, the producer. But he said George Harrison was hardly a, on par with an Eric Clapton right? from a guitar standpoint. And, and there were times when Paul would, you know, have to show George some stuff on the guitar. Well, and like, and like Paul, I think we discussed this, played guitar on Taxman. Oh, he That's did. his lead. Oh, I didn't know that. Which is one of the best lead guitar parts yeah. in any Beatles song. Oh, the darn dear do do Yeah, well, the, the guitar solo at the end, and it okay. gets, gets very kind of like like yeah. metalish almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's uh, that's McCartney. And is this also a little bit of uh, couples therapy, you know, for them to? Yeah, I think there was an element of that for yeah, sure. Yeah, because. Harrison had shagged Patty Boyd or something. Oh, sorry. I think that was. I think that was after that. Okay. I, I'm not not familiar with the. I, oh, I don't that's know right. The timeline. Ah, uh, that's Octopus's I do, Garden. I do appreciate that you reverted back to a shag slang for that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, ke- baby. Kept it all in universe continuity. You know. You, yeah, baby. The Marvel editor puts a little box at the bottom of whatever you said with an asterisk. Like, this is what the the Londoner said in the 1960s. <laughs> true I, believer. I am eating fish and chips as we speak. <laughs> I think it was Octopus's Garden. Was that where uh, um, I think Harrison or somebody was referring to Eric Clapton, his neighbor, Eric Clapton, as being the octopus oh, really? <laughs> who'd wrapped all his arms around uh, his wife, Patty Boyd. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And I think Patty Boyd has a few, more than a few songs written about her, too. But uh, Okay. So cool. So that was yours also. Yeah. Michael. Okay. So, Michael, what is your second? My second choice is Dave Grohl playing uh, on the uh, song No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age, although he also played on the entire album of Songs for the Death. Right, and isn't he also in, uh, what's the other spinoff? Don't they have like a spinoff band of Eagles? Queens? They're not Eagles. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, Eagles, Eagles. of Death Metal. Uh, death oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Yeah, that I don't know, but maybe. Okay. I, I, you're probably right. Dave Grohl, um, what, what is it? Uh, Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. Yeah. Of Nirvana, of Nirvana. <laughs> uh, playing drums on "No One Knows" by uh, Queens of the Stone Age, and what, uh, what I thought one, I really like the song. I think it has kind of has this slow kind of prodding, uh, kind of guitar part that kind of leads into this really big drum part, in which I think kind of saves the song. 
uh-huh. where like the vocals really kick in and then just this guitar this the the drums by Dave Grohl really just kind of rock out and just kind of take over the song and make it a yeah. much better song. Yeah. And uh, it was around the time that he he was like friends with uh, the lead singer uh, Josh Holm from like 96 or something. He'd known him 92 even. He'd known him for a long time and kind of admired his work and you know, he went off after Nirvana ended and to do Foo Fighters and he was kind of getting kind of worn out on doing the Foo Fighters thing and he was just kind of um wanted to get back into doing drumming which he what yeah. he was kind of you know made his made his bones at initially so i think it was a good collaboration working with like you know them for a full album but specifically this one song i think is just the best thing that they've done and i think it just him as a drummer i think brings a lot of like gravitas to this band yeah and I think kind of pushed them forward a little bit. And we, we really could have done a Mount Rushmore of Dave Grohl guest cameos. Really could. Yeah. I thought of putting, like, you know, his work with Tenacious D. Right. Or just right on down the line. While I was looking for, like, more information about uh, Dave Grohl. You can find it on the internet, by I, the way. You know, that's where I looked. Okay, well, good, I started good, with microfiche. Good. Yeah. As, as we've been, all been trained to do. Yeah, right. I got, uh, I got those newspapers. They're all just on, like... On yeah. those, on those, uh, you know, uh, uh, from the library. Yeah, on those you rods. Approach yep. the scariest woman in the school. <laughs> Talk to her in your nervous voice. Uh, but he does like a ton of like guest appearances, especially with like live acts. Like a few years ago, he was touring with like Cat Power, and like that's like, why the fuck are you playing with Cat Power? I mean, Cat Power barely plays. Right. She's, she's, she's such a mess. But like. He has a a few weeks ago. God, maybe it's a few months ago. We were talking about like Keanu Reeves as like just the ah uh, everybody. The Keanu sense. Yeah, yeah. The Dave Grohl is just what seems like one of those guys on that par. Yeah, wants to play with everyone. Everyone wants to play with him. He did that really good like HBO uh, kind of quasi documentary series about making like a new Foo Fighters album where he worked with all these different. Speaking of guest people, all these people were like guesting on. A Foo Fighters album, or would record in a specific city. Uh, the music was kind of bad, but like the making of it, I yeah. Like, he did a Sound City fantastic. doc about the yeah. console at Sound City. Working with like Ben yeah. Gibbard on something in Seattle, and working with people down in St. Louis, and he worked with uh, Rick Nielsen, Cheap Trick. Yeah, just all over random people. Yeah, I think that he just has. He's like one of those Venn diagrams of like, oh, who would you want to work with? Oh, Dave Grohl. Because he's awesome, awesome, good guitarist, good drummer. Mm-hmm. He's got just like bona fides. Yeah, at the Wazoo. He's played. He played with Wazoo, <laughs> <over> <laughs> Wazoo a la Palooza. I don't know. You know, it's funny that mm. there's something oddly connected there. I think of uh, Kurt Cobain as kind of the James Dean of grunge or rock, uh-huh. and he died. Early enough to not become corrupted by all the things that fame does to older celebrities. And I feel like Dave Grohl, it's almost like he learned from that somehow and has kept, it's almost like he's rocking for two now. <laughs> you know, like he's he kept that innocence or. He definitely picked up the pieces right away. He didn't stay mired in being part of this legacy of sadness. Yeah. He's like, I'm still a musician. You know, one of my best friends died, but I got to move on. I still got to go 
do these own things. And yeah, he's an interesting character. Yeah. Ah, cool. Cool choice. All right, Richard, you and then halftime after. All right. So my second choice is someone that we've uh, we have uh, discussed on the show before as um, I am not surprised for having played uh, guested on multiple parts. Uh, maybe has as much um, bona fides as Holly Hunter would have said in uh, "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?" Where Art Thou for playing with other uh, musicians as Dave Grohl, uh, Johnny Marr. Oh, love it! Uh, <clears throat> and specifically, his playing on the Talking Heads song "Nothing But Flowers." Okay, which I did not realize was Johnny Marr playing guitar yeah. until I was doing some research research for this episode. Uh-huh. Do love that song, so it's on yeah. their album "Naked," and. Didn't never just never realized it was Johnny Marr, but apparently he played on like four songs on that uh, the last Talking Heads album. Huh. That was the first one that he uh, recorded with them, and he flew out to Paris is right after the Smiths broke up. So this was eighty eight, eighty nine, something like that. Yeah, they were done. Their last album came out in eighty seven. Yeah, so it was like a year or two. It was like a year or two yeah, after the first the Smiths Morrissey broke album up. came out in eighty eight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was a little bit after after they broke up, but you know he was just kind of having enjoying being a gun for hire at this point hmm. and didn't have a connection to the talking heads. It wasn't like, Oh, he was friends with David Burns. So he asked him, no, it was just like one of those, Hey, I like your playing. You know, you want to come down to Paris. We're recording a new album. Sure. Sounds good. And this is the first track that he worked on with him. And apparently it was nothing more than the bass line and the drum, like a drum loop. Like there were no chord changes. And Steve Lillywhite, who was the producer of the album, basically said, just, yeah, just do whatever you want to with it, which Johnny Marr said was as intimidating as hell, because you're coming into this new situation with this Mm -hmm. great band, you know, and David Byrne kind of has this reputation for being this kind of quirky auteur, and suddenly you're asked to just sort of just do whatever you want. So he said, well, can I do some chord changes? Oh, yeah, sure, do that. So he wound up basically re basically creating the song almost from scratch just so he could record the guitar part for it. Um, or at least uh, creating the chord change. I know you don't understand what chords are, Michael. My, my eyes discussed. glazed over. I started looking up <laughs> towards the heavens, just praying for an early death. If your laptop has that light, that, the pop-up that says, mm-hmm. you got to plug this in. Mm-hmm. That's a chord use, change. You need a chord okay, change. Thanks, <laughs> but, um, you know, and it's, and Michael, you're more of the Smiths expert than I am. Sure. And this song, at, at first glance, it, if you guys know the song, Nothing But Flowers, it's got this sort of like Afrobeat kind of rhythm to it, which I wouldn't necessarily have associated with Johnny Marr. But then I started thinking about something, about some of the Smith songs that kind of almost have a, a some like a Caribbean yeah. or Afro, Afrobeat kind of feel to it. Um, so I guess it, make, it made more sense once I thought about it, why he would sort of gravitate to a, a song like that and be, be a good fit for it. But I think just we've, we've discussed, I know, the, the history of him playing with, with a lot of different bands. Well, one of the strangest Johnny Marr things was I, 2007, he joined Modest, Modest Mouse. Mouse. Right. Yeah. And for We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank. And I remember being like, why the fuck is Johnny Marr with Modest Mouse? And like, there was a lot of his like guitar jangly bits throughout that album and it it was an interesting album and it worked he was only with them for like one one album and you know a couple of tours or whatever uh but i didn't i don't know if he necessarily improved it he was just added 
Modest Mouse in particular is a band that has just a lot of layers. Yeah. Like there's just a lot of guitar work. There's a lot of drums. There's a lot of everything. There's a lot of not being able to understand what Isaac Brock is saying because he tries to cram all of his lyrics into the song. Right. It's very interesting to listen to. It's like he – I don't know what he writes first. If he writes the music and then crams the lyrics in or writes all these lyrics and then is like – I'm sure he writes the chords first, Michael. No idea. But it's just, it was very strange to have like two of my favorite things combine. Was it kind of like drawn into (laughs) this weird thing that was like, okay. And then he left and I was like, sure. It wasn't quite like peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah. It was like two things that you really love and kind of, it worked, but. I don't need it for forever. Right. You got it for an album. Yeah, and that's the same thing with Talking Heads. You got an album, uh, four songs worth of Johnny Marr. Like the song I was thinking of from the Smiths was Ask. Like that's a song that's kind of, mm-hmm. I, I, I think of it as having some sort of a world music sort of feel to it, even if it's not overt. I think his playing, you can see where you can make a connection between sure. that and you know the later Talking Heads when David Byrne was really getting into world music. Yeah, David Byrne must. I'm surprised he didn't make. He wasn't on my list at all. No, as like like a weird. He's had a lot of weird people that he's worked with. Saint Vincent. That Tim. That's Saint Vincent. Kirsty McCall also sang on. That nothing also but sang, flowers. Also sang because uh, Steve Lily Lily White was the producer, and that's when she was married to him. Oh, I do find uh, it interesting though. This is as a pick as someone who fundamentally changed what the song was going to be into a song with. I don't think know if any of my picks did that. If yeah. They, if they changed the song. I mean, yeah. in that sort of way that a guitarist and a musician comes in and is like, well. It's not just playing a solo yes. to like a set song. Mm-hmm. It is literally changing the structure of the song or helping define what that yeah. structure is. So I found that part fascinating. You know, Jen, my wife, was asking us about this topic. And I think, and she mentioned uh kind of celebrity hip-hop producers and how they frequently have guests on. Mm-hmm. And I think of this topic as it being important that that is, is a guest recording with a band, a group of people that have spent a lot of time together, had previous recordings together that are essentially the small family. And that there's nobody who's really an outsider in a P. Diddy recording because he's the only insider. He's, yeah. he's the only person who's probably the, the mainstay of it. Right. Maybe there's an entourage, but... You know, I, I'm going to go back to the Modest Mouse thing real quick, but just weird that, like, Johnny Marr just joined the band. Yeah. It wasn't just like, I'm going to play on this album. He was just like, oh, yeah, he's in the band now. Yeah. And you're just like, well, okay. Yeah. This guy's... Seems like Superman joining the Avengers or something. Or does it seem like he outranks them? <laughs> a, a little bit. Yeah. Like, he's has had so much more experience or maybe even not even, you know, a decade more, but a decade yeah. more is... A lifetime in rock and roll. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, dudes. Uh, we are at halftime. I want to invite you to tune in to our next episode, which is the Mount Rushmore of exploitation films. Jeff on the hot seat. <laughs> I'm the best. This is the best time of year for us. It's Christmas time, but it's grilling time. We'll, it's Christmas for us, really. Yeah. We'll all shift one mic to the left, and I'll be in the participant microphone, and not in the judge microphone. But uh, it's uh, exciting for me to participate in that. But that's something to look forward to in the next episode. So if you haven't already, go back and uh, uh, get the link for this podcast wherever you find it. Share it on social media with your friends. 
we would ask you to give us the gift of sharing in this season of giving and, and stuff like that. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Please help us. Don't don't I mean, buy gifts for people. Yeah, don't guys. Just, just do give, something for us. Give them a reward to people. Oh my God! Can you imagine getting that in your stocking? Here, Ew. a download of the Mount Rushmore oh podcast. I got oh. you a Tiffany like a tennis bracelet. Oh. Like, wasn't that bad this year? <laughs> that is, we are your lump of coal. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that for us. That'd be a solid. But you could even go a one better and review and rate previous episodes. That'd be super cool. Probably a lot of driving in your future with uh, going over the river and through the woods to Grandma's house and all that kind of stuff. This is a great podcast to listen to when you do that. I think. I think. Um, I think it's time to go back to the uh, topic. And then Michael would be letting us know his third choice. Well, your wife, Jen, was very prescient on one of my choices. Oh, cool. Okay. Which is ludicrous. Oh, wow. on Missy Elliott's uh, Gossip Folks from the 2002 album Under Construction. Okay. And what I, one of those things that she talked about, she was like, oh yeah, you know, like nowadays every rap song has a guest vocal that comes in. But I love the way on this song in particular, this song is kind of like this response to, uh, it's Missy Elliott singing about like people talking about her. Talking about like, who she's sleeping with, all the drugs she's doing, all this stuff. And then the song just kind of plods on a little bit. I love the song and it's really fun. And then right near the end, right before the song kind of ends itself, Ludacris bangs through the door and just sings (laughs) this really super great braggadocious all about me bit about how he's, uh, how he stepped on the scene and he smells great and he's banging all these <laughs> chicks and he just feels great. And every, you know, he, he pulled himself up by his own, like, uh, rap straps, rap straps, rap straps. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, he's on the scene and isn't he great? And he's awesome. And it's just, I, I love it because it, it is a breath of fresh air in a song that is already fun, but doesn't really yeah. feel like it's going anywhere. It yeah. just kind of comes in. And Ludacris is just this really super loud personality. Yeah. And one of the most ridiculous things is that he drops a like a reference and an impression of Timmy from South Park. <laughs> He's like, I'm loud like Timmy. And it's just so weird to be like need <laughs> Timmy. As, as if you're gonna do like a a, a Bartman thing or yeah. like I don't know, a, a reference to SpongeBob SquarePants. It's so strange right. and wonderful. Like, and where just does like, it come from? Where did what, that happen? Yeah, what happened there? I don't know. Like, you know, South Park and all that, like, you know, exploded in 1997, 98, 99. And yeah. it was weird to have this new Simpsons-like cartoon that was taking over everything, especially Hot Topic yeah. uh, t-shirt sales. But, like... A couple of years later, to have like a Timmy reference in like a Missy Elliott song, <laughs> ludicrous is just like nesting it, doll of. Would yeah. you say it was ludicrous to have it? Completely ludicrous. Ludicrous. Yeah, I just, I just love that. Yes, Richard. What is your third choice of uh, musicians who improved a song by guesting on the thing? And you mentioned Kirsty McCall, yeah, a few minutes ago, yeah, which is prescient on your part. Oh. Because my next choice is Kirstie McCall singing uh, co-lead vocals on the Pogue song, Fairy Tale of New York. Oh, fun. Just a great song. Kirstie McCall, just a great singer, just an yeah. incredible voice. As mentioned, was married to uh, producer Steve Lillywhite 
at the time uh-huh. who was producing the Pogues album. And the story goes that they were trying, they were working on this song and he needed a temp vocal for whoever was going to be the female uh, vocalist who was going to do that part. It wasn't, wasn't originally supposed to be her, but they're in the studio and in the home studio and they have, he has her record this like temporary vocal track. And they liked it so much that that was literally the vocal track that they just wound up using. Wow. So they were never in the studio really together, which I found really fascinating. But it, it, between her and Shane McGowan, you've got her with this like you know, very like beautiful Irish voice. And then you've got Shane McGowan, who does not have a beautiful... <laughs> yeah. Definitely has an Irish voice. Wouldn't say it's a beautiful Irish voice. Um but I, I don't know that if you didn't have that contrast between the two that the song yeah. wouldn't have worked. I don't know that it would I don't know that it works for anyone other than her yeah. as the co lead singer. So uh-huh. to your to your original, you know, guest musicians who made the song better, this is one where I, I think clearly Christy McCall coming in elevated the song from something that would have been a yeah. very good poke song to an all time, you know, Christmas classic. Uh-huh. I think uh well, Kate Pearson seemed to do that a few times in the eighties, and oh, sure, uh, like with uh, Candy, yeah, by Iggy Pop, yeah, and then some REM, oh, uh, Shiny Happy, Shiny Happy People. People. Wasn't uh, did Belinda Carlisle do that a couple times? Uh, Maybe, kind of, yeah, yeah, possibly. Kind of the the rose in the among the briar, <laughs> the, right? <laughs> the beauty among the the beastly songs. That's a cool choice. She also, I feel like she has a little bit of the tragedy among her as somebody who died. Died uh, young. Yeah. Died young. And then... Died by a boat. by a boat, defending her children or trying to yeah, get, well, her, children was get her children out of the way. Yeah, they were getting her children out of the way of this, like, uh, Spanish billionaire uh-huh. who was on his yacht and was traveling too fast and, oh like, plowed God. into them. That's, that's and he so wound up not getting any jail time out of her. There's, in England, there's still a big justice for Kirstie uh-huh. kind of movement. Is there, it really? Yeah, it's still something that, that, that is mm-hmm. a, a thing today. Yeah. Cool choice. All right, uh, Winfield. Well, very strange that you guys mentioned shiny happy people. <laughs> oh, really? Because what? mine is Kate Pearson from the B-52s <laughs> guesting on R.E.M.'s Shiny Happy People, right. which is a delightful, yeah. way too positive, happy song on the same album that has Losing My Religion Yeah, right. uh, from uh, 91's Out of Time, which oddly featured, I think, the worst... Uh, uh, an example of a musician like making a song worse. I know this one. Yes. Is it Radio Song? Yes, it's KRS-One. <laughs> oh, yeah. With the rap on Radio Song. Yeah. Ooh, it's, just, it's a rough one. It's, just it's a, a bad, rough listen. It's a bad song to start the album with. And right. it's a bad like guest rap. Talk about a good guest. To go from a... I know we're talking about uh, you know uh, Kate, Kate Pearson, Pearson now, but like to go from <laughs> Ludacris to KRS-One and it's just like... It's yeah. so hokey and silly and ugh, terrible. Yeah. But Shiny Happy People, I think, is so much improved by this bouncy, joyous, affirming call and response sort of song. And the thing that she brings is just like this lovely voice. And it's so big compared to, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Michael Stipe. Thank you, Michael Stipe, where he's just, he's got a good voice, but it's so low key, and she just comes in and just like, 
love them. Yeah. Love. And it's just so wonderful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they have a relationship in that they're both from the same town. Yeah. And they've probably done, seen, spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Playing at Athens College yard party somewhere. Or something. Yeah, yeah, but she just adds so much to the song that it's just like this super bubblegum pop. Uh-huh. You know, we mentioned the Archie. I don't remember if we were recording. I don't think we, we were, but, but we were talking about the Archies and Sugar Sugar. Yeah. And it's just this joyous, bouncy song, and she is just a joyous, yeah. bouncy personality. Yeah. What a place and, for them to meet. I think of the the two freak shows who came from Athens who – found their way out of whatever genre they're in into alternative radio then to actual actual pop charts the mainstream charts mm-hmm. and to be recording what may be a, the most sarcastic song you know <laughs> like I, I don't know if, if uh if that um i don't i i can't imagine there isn't a little bit of sardonicness into the the Distance shiny happy, it, yeah. happy people well like lyric. reading an interview with like michael Sipe, he like it was more like a challenge. Can I write this kind of sappy, yeah. Uh, yeah. overly po- positive type of song? Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. The best thing about the song is that it gave us a Kate Pearson uh, Muppet. Did it really? Yeah, oh, they well. did. When uh, Michael Stipe guested on Sesame Street, uh-huh. there is a Kate Pearson uh, <coughs> oh, Muppet that's, oh, that's uh, that sings along with him to Shiny Happy Monsters. Oh, okay. Which oh. is fantastic. She, uh, <laughs> she also was on a couple of other songs on there, but uh, check out... Um, me and Honey, too, which is another super... Which is a very good song. Yeah. Shiny Happy People isn't a bad song. It's just uh, literally very syrupy. Right. Yeah. Like Honey? Like Honey. Ooh. Okay, uh, Ricardo, your final choice. So it's interesting. You, we're, you just mentioned Bootsy Collins. Oh, wait. Hold on a second. Can you rewind that? Did anyone mention Bootsy Collins? Uh, no. We Can didn't. we insert that in and post? Because <laughs> it really would have flowed really well if yeah. we could do that. Yeah. No, Bootsy Collins, along with Maceo Parker and uh, uh, Q-Tip from Tribe Called Quest and Fred Wesley, also as well on trombone, on the D-Light song Groove is in oh, the Heart. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I, I was someone who was familiar with Bootsy Collins through Parliament Funkadelic when I was growing up. So this song is probably about 89, something like that, 89, 90. And that's when I was really getting into bass. And that's when I really started getting into funk bass. Uh-huh. And uh, so Bootsy Collins is one of the people I really listened to. It was like a hero of mine as a bass player. And to have him on this, like, you know, pop, this dance pop yeah. kind of, yeah. you know, dance club type song was at once discombobulating, but then also at the same time, it totally made sense. Yeah. Um, and the song is really driven by by this bass line. And you've got Maceo Parker, and who played with saxophone player, and Fred Wesley, who is a trombone player for the James Brown band. Yeah, they were as, the JBs. Or, yeah, they, as or were what, they Fabulous Flames. I think they were Fabulous Flames. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Maceo Parker might have been both. Uh-huh. And Bootsy Collins actually played in James Brown's backing band at one uh-huh. point as well. Um, so it really gave this song sort of this, the funk credentials, the yeah. bona fides, oh, yeah, as yeah. we would say. Yeah. And Bootsy's got a little bit of a speaking <laughs> part in the middle of it. I feel like the entire Pee Wee's Playhouse is just going <laughs> to erupt saying, yeah. Secret word today is <laughs> bona fides. Bona fides. I, it, it, was, it was just, man, what a fun time in music. Yeah. When, when an act like Delight could become like, 
household names for yeah. a brief period in time. And it was this like kind of six, it was back when it was like this whole sixties fun house mm-hmm. of, you know, mix of genres and looks and styles. Yeah. And so having you know, this like sixties, early seventies kind of vibe, then having someone like Bootsy Collins be a part of it, who was the epitome of kind of seventies cool. Yeah. Just made sense. Oh yeah. I think of D light is almost being cut from the same cloth as the V 52s. And they yes. were the thrift store, uh, uh, welcome wagon for any freaks who wanted to hang out and have fun. And oh, I believe you're referring to the Love Shack. The Love Shack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You'll just see the faded sign the side of the road. How far are you away? It's like 15 miles. Eh, 15 miles. But the the and dance music as a meritocracy. If it moves you and grooves you, it doesn't matter if you're a celebrity or just a backup guy for a fading uh, act. Right. You got a place in in that world and i think new the new york music scene that blondie was in at the same time the talking heads at the same time fab five freddy at the same time right. all these guys was was a meritocracy let's say anybody who does something funky and groovy no i think it, it very much it came up with the same club scene that like madonna was exploring like during the vogue yeah era yeah but this was this was like a different side of that. Yeah. It was a DJ Toa Toa and I forget the other guy. Toa Dimitri. Dimitri. Toa DJ Dimitri. Who was, who, was, who was married to, to a lady Miss Kira. Oh, really? At the time. Oh, I didn't know. So that. you had like this like, uh, you know, nightclub girl. You had this Russian guy DJ and then this like Japanese DJ. It was like this weird mix of yeah. people. I can see them saying. The United Nations <laughs> yeah. decided the United to make Nations a band. Of, of... Uh, let's build it around like 70s funk. Okay. <laughs> We need, we need representative Bootsy <laughs> Collins to come in here. We're going to play bass on this track, y'all. <laughs> let's get the Bootsy. Okay, what's, let's what's get Bootsy. What, what's Bootsy though? <laughs> what is Bootsy? I love that you, you named, you know, the fact that he's also talking like, y'all are crazy. <laughs> There's a couple times in the... In yeah, the he just sort of throws these little Bootsy-isms <laughs> yeah. in there. And I would be remiss to not point out, uh, not just talk about Bootsy Collins, but also Q-Tip from uh, Tribe Called Quest. Mm-hmm. Uh, does the little rap version in the middle of the mm-hmm. little oh, rap does. bit in the v- middle of the song, which I think is a really fun kind of yeah. kind of like rap. And he did a lot of like guest raps on a lot of yeah, other people's yeah. stuff. That's so cool. I would be remiss not to mention I, him. That is in, I think, my first um, order fill out for the Columbia Record Club. <laughs> I was just thinking <laughs> was, that too. Was D-Light Cruise in the Heart and, and Three Feet High and Rising, probably in the first CD order. It's funny. Those are like, I have no experience delight other than that song yeah I, nobody does i do not know a single thing that try me on i'm very you there's some good songs they were the yeah. american pizzicato five there's a deep cut for everybody okay but um okay. sure yeah. twiggy twiggy exactly they were like the american five. version of that yeah um but I, I guess to wrap everything up for me i remember this may be one of the first times where it felt okay to like something that was like like very blatantly dance and pop yeah Growing up, um, because Bootsy Collins was involved. Yeah, and if Bootsy was was cool with it. Uh-huh. It was okay to be cool with it too. I remember reading Bootsy started with James Brown when he was fifteen, and but that was before I read that James Brown had fired his entire band on tour. And oh needed, sure, yeah, because they a, dropped. And they like probably like missed a beat. Or yeah, something. yeah. yeah. <laughs> he and so he needed a band really quick, so he hired a bunch of fifteen-year-olds. <laughs> so okay, <laughs> that's how you get some opportunity. Okay, uh, Winch, that's it. We are that's it. That's it. That's it. All right. So some fun picks. We I'd like re- to point out this this episode where we were talking about guests making the thing better. Yeah, did not have a guest. 
It didn't honor. have a guest. We we really we really bricked oh, this yeah. opportunity, you we, guys. We should have gotten Ryan Love on at least. I do want to name a person who feels like they're a guest because I've been told they listen to our podcast. And that is thank you, thank you, thank you, Gina Neugebauer. <laughs> Gina Neugebauer, who uh, works with my sister-in-law, Jackie Bascom. Or sorry, Jackie Newcomb mm-hmm. at uh, Harvard or Yale, Harvard. Which is the one the Goodwill Hunting went to? We're in the Ivy Harvard. Leagues, guys. Harvard. Uh, hi, Gina. How are you doing? <laughs> and now I'm going to go pick some uh, some some songs, uh, just because it kind of opened up a big can there. Uh, let's go with "Shiny Happy People," uh, featuring a guest song our singer Kate Pearson. Um, I didn't know Johnny Marr played on "Nothing But Flowers," and now I go got to go learn about that. Um, you both mentioned it, so while my guitar gently weeps, seems like it would be important to to do. Um, and then let's see what was the fun other one. Um, just because he's got so much cred, and this will make us go up in the ratings. Dave Grohl, no one knows. Literally, if just the people that Dave Grohl have has played with and collaborated yeah. with listen to this, listen podcast, to this podcast, just the people, just the musicians, yeah, will like triple our we'll listenership. Triple yeah. Okay, just saying, Dave Grohl, I think will bump us up a little bit. Okay, yeah. this that's has how SEO works. That's it. That's it. You speak it, you raise in, in in clicks. This has been the Mount Rushmore of musicians who guessed it on a podcast and made the no this isn't about Rushmore oh man you almost stuck the landing Bella is over there just pulling his hair out (laughs) Gary you can do it oh man this has been the Mount Rushmore of the thing that we just did my name's Jeff I'm Richard I'm Michael 